you are being watched. The government has a secret system, a machine that spies on you every hour of every day. I know because I built it, I designed the machine to detect acts of terror, but it sees everything. Violent crimes involving ordinary people, people like you, crimes the government considers irrelevant. They wouldn't act, but I decided I would. Hunted by the authorities, we work in secret. You'll never find us, but victim or perpetrator, if your number is up, we'll find you. You are a person of interest. God is interested in you. Not only your protection, but your development, the quality of your relationships, your satisfaction, your fulfillment, your destiny. The Lord has a plan for your life. It's the life you've always wanted. And it's in the kingdom. And there are no lone rangers in the kingdom. There are no secret agents in the kingdom acting alone and in isolation. But together, everybody shout, together, we can make a difference. The life you've always wanted is actualized with the invitation for personal transformation. Just like that man in the opening scene. We are going through a personal transformation from victim to victor, from helpless to helping others. Repeat after me. I am a world changer. I can change my world and help my brother and sister change their world so that together we can change the world. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. I am a world changer. Turn to your name and say, you are a world changer. Let's repeat together. Let's change the world. Well, this is part three in a series entitled The Life You've Always Wanted. There is a deep hunger in all of us to be transformed, to be changed, to move from where we are to that special place of destiny and blessing and self-fulfillment. Like I said last week, all of us have that feeling. That's why we join health clubs and go on diets and get in recovery groups. I can be better. I can do better. The Army had a popular catchphrase. I was looking at uh, the back of Fernando's shirt about the Army. What was that phrase back there, Army? Uh, I forgot why. I looked at it about the Army, but the catchphrase the Army had was, uh, be all that you can be and join the Army. The appeal of the television program, Person of Interest, is in that opening monologue because they basically are saying the government doesn't really care about you, but we do. 
And you see these lead characters in this hit series change from assassins and killers and develop a moral consciousness that wants to change the world and do good. Romans 12:1 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Amen. God's plan is for change. Change in your life. Change in mine. And uh, like a caterpillar into a butterfly, it's a metamorphosis. But the enemy has a subtle deceptive strategy that can derail all the plans that God has for us if we settle. If we settle for second best. If we settle for that's good enough. Watch out for the danger of pseudo transformation. You see, authentic, authentic transformation is from the inside out. And it's identifiable by increasing amounts of love and joy. Authentic transformation is from the inside out. And it's identifiable by increasing amounts of love and joy. Mm, love and joy. Mm, love and joy. Mm, love and joy. It's identifiable by what? If the transformation is not authentic, then we fall into the trap of external behavior that we think indicates something wonderful has happened. But I want you to keep in mind our focus verse, verse for today is 1 Samuel 16, 7. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? The heart. Now, we know as believers, Christians, we're called to be separate and to come out and to be different. That our faith means we should be different. But the difference is not necessarily more religious activity. The difference is more love and more joy, a preoccupation with loving God and loving people. Now, in the church I grew up in, in New York, there was a man who never missed Sunday morning service, never missed Sunday night, never missed midweek prayer service. He was faithful at all the revival meetings we had, and every special event where we gathered to do work or to help people in the community, he was there, except for the fact he beat his wife. And it was several years before we found out that this was going on. He forbade her to talk at all about anything that was going on in their home. He had all the outward appearance of being a great Christian man. You see, friends, religious activity in and of itself does not necessarily mean transformation, but the difference is more joy and more love. If it's not there, what, would he do? what do we do? We put substitutes in there. Like, for example, more knowledge about Jesus, more classes, more reading, more studying, more meetings, or we imitate the behavior of those that we think have it all together, and whatever they do, we find ourselves doing the same thing. Because it's the external thing. This is what happened exactly to the Jews of Jesus' day. 
They were studying dietary laws and the other outward aspects of holiness. But Jesus said this about it. You have a form of godliness, but you deny the power of God. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Reminds me of my aunt. She was a wonderful person, and she was loving to us in her own way, but she was always preoccupied with the externals, how she looked how she appeared to others, how her home looked. Everything had to be in its place. We used to love to, well, I couldn't say we loved to go to her house on holidays because we really didn't. Because we couldn't go into the living room. She had all her furniture covered in plastic and she wanted you to not sit here and don't touch this and don't do this. She was very, very concerned about appearance and how she appeared. Uh, her marriage was not good. Her, her, my uncle, her husband was a philanderer. And she was always making excuses for him while he's doing this and doing that for the family. It was all a show just so that she could give the appearance of a healthy relationships. Like the Pharisees, she was focused on the externals, but Jesus was not that way. He focused on the center, hmm, the heart of the spiritual life. When asked by the Pharisees what the law was all about, Jesus' response was simply, love God, love people. That's what it boils down to, folks. You want to walk this walk and talk this walk and be like Jesus, you got to be preoccupied with loving him, getting to know him, yes, through his word, getting to know him through prayer, but the prayer is so that we can develop the relationship, so that we can walk the way he would walk, talk the way he would talk, and by his spirit, embody the life of Jesus. Can I get an amen? Jesus' early followers understood this, and the apostle Paul understood this when he wrote to the early church at Corinth about the significance of having many spiritual markers but lacking the center, you know what he said in 1 Corinthians 13, even though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am like a clanging cymbal or a noisy gong. John was even more blunt. He said everyone who loves is born of God and knows God, whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. So, religious boundary markers change from generation to generation. In the church I grew up in, the pastor could have been consumed with pride or resentment, but as long as he didn't smoke, he preached the gospel, and the church was growing, he would not be in danger of losing his job. In the Christian college I attended in the 70s, jazz music and dancing was prohibited. You could not dance. Oh, you could square dance, but... Hmm. Did you know that in the 1600s, young people were criticized for being rebellious and listening to music that encouraged the undisciplined life? They claimed it really was not music at all, it was pure noise. This is the 1600s, and these young people were listening at the time to Beethoven. Beethoven. You see, Beethoven, when his music came out, it was so revolutionary, they were used to classical forms, Bach and Mozart, and everything was strictly in forms like this, and the music was predictable. And here comes Beethoven, emotional and romantic, and colors in his chords that were completely outside of the boundaries of what people were used to, and they couldn't change it. And the young people loved it, and the people talked about them, just like they talk today about our young people. And listen, friends, it's a generational thing. 
But as far as Jesus is concerned, do you love God? Do you love people? Hmm. The great command, Luke 10, 27. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen? So let me take a moment to deal with a sensitive issue. The issue of dress, particularly the dress of our young women. Now, dress and appearance have always been hot-button topics in the church particularly for those who fall on the legalistic side of the fence, which was the group I grew up in. And so the other day, uh, Kathy and I were talking about Sharon. Actually, I was talking about Sharon, and I was complimenting her about uh, her dress, how she puts colors together, and how it's always very appropriate. And, and I think, uh, you know, by the way, uh, fellas, it's okay to notice that other ladies are attractive and to pay them compliments, it's okay to do that. Just make sure you're not doing that more than you're doing your own wife or your own special person in your life. Amen? So I was listening to a comedian this week who mentioned that his parents have a good marriage and uh, they've been married for 36 years. But he said his dad is always trying to sell his mom to the other kids. And he'll think he'll say something like this at dinner. You know, kids, your mom is quite a lady. <laughs> and they're going, really, Dad? I think we all buy into that. <laughs> then the guy says, of course, it might be a little awkward if he said, you know, kids, I think that Whoopi Goldberg is quite a lady. So when continuing to discuss Sharon, Kathy mentioned she always wears pants or pantsuits. I hadn't noticed that before. She wears pants, and so I talked to Sharon about it. Sharon said, well, I don't really like shopping that much, and it's convenient for me. And so I was thinking about it, pants. Hmm. You know, if it was the church I grew up in, she would be criticized and talked about and called a lady of you-know-what and all kind of stuff. But you know what? Times have changed. Standards have changed, and we don't give it a second thought. I was invited to say the opening prayer at the Orange City Council, and I had the opportunity to observe the deportment of our wonderful mayor, and she is wonderful, Tita Smith. She's engaging, she's gracious, she's efficient, she's great. Now, I don't know her age, but I would say she's probably in her, maybe her late 40s or maybe early 50s, I'm not sure. But um, I also noticed her executive assistant, who is at least 10 years younger. And when they stood together to present an award for community service, I, I immediately noticed the difference in the length of their skirts. <laughs> they both reflected their age difference, and, and nobody raised an eyebrow. They just looked. There was just difference because of age. So I want to say again, friends, lighten up on our youth and give them some space. Can I get an amen? amen. That was about the weakest amen I've gotten in this church in a long time. You know what I say to you? If you can't say amen, just say, Lord, help. <laughs> Lord, help. Now, now, I know this is sensitive because it always has been sensitive. 
But listen to me. We always need to give instruction to our youth, and that should be provided by their parents and congregationally by their youth leaders. And when overall input is needed, the older women in the church need to give instruction to the younger women. Brothers, keep your comments and reserve them for the other younger men in the church. Let the ladies have that conversation. By the way, uh, ladies, we will be having that kind of opportunity together. We have a ladies' uh, breakfast coming up soon. But we're going to have a time when the ladies, all the ladies, young and old, get together and talk about some of these issues because we need to talk about them. Can I get an amen now? Amen. Oh, well, that was much better. And brothers, we need to get together and talk with our young men. There are some sensitive, important issues that need to be talked about manhood and why, how we conduct ourselves. And the brothers need to talk, the older brothers need to talk to the younger brothers. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. So, but let's keep our focus verse in mind. God, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at what? At the heart. So, special word to our young ladies. Actually, what I'm going to do right now is just leave you with a couple of verses. And uh, now the subject deserves much more time than I'm going to give this morning. But I just want to lay a biblical foundation, and this is not in your notes. So write this down so that you can uh, reflect on it this week. The first verse is 1 Timothy 2.9. And I'm going to ask you, if you have access to a computer or to different versions, to look up the message version. I'm going to quote the message version to you right now. 1 Timothy 2.9 and then Matthew 18.7. And it goes like this. Since, and, and, and by the way, whenever we talk about these issues of dress and dress for women in the church and all that, we always start with the women, but this verse doesn't start with the women. It starts with an obligation and responsibility to the brothers. Hear the word of God. Since prayer, everybody say prayer, prayer, is at the bottom of all this, what I want mostly is for men to pray, not shaking angry fists at enemies, but raising holy hands to God. I love that. Man, that's what we ought to be doing. Not complaining, not criticizing, but lifting holy hands to God in prayer. Can I get an amen from the men? Amen. That was pretty good. I give you a B minus on that. <laughs> Brothers, can I get an amen from the men? Amen. That's it. And I want women to get in there with the men in humility before God, not primping before a mirror or chasing the latest fashions, but doing something beautiful for God. Notice that word in there. Beautiful for who? For God. Beautiful for God. And becoming beautiful doing it. What a wonderful picture. So no comment on that. I'll just leave that. Meditate on that this week. And then Matthew 18, 7. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they so take some time to meditate on these two verses, and we'll continue the discussion next week. So just to review what we talked about as we close, we need to watch out 
for the danger of pseudo-transformation. God's plan is for change and transformation like a caterpillar into a butterfly. But the enemy has that deceptive strategy called pseudo-transformation to influence and convince us that we need to focus on the outside in but God's method is from the inside out. Authentic transformation is from the inside out and it's identifiable by increasing amounts of love and joy. Our focus verse, the Lord does not look at all things, at all things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Let me conclude with one final verse. It is not in your outline, but write it down, please. It's a famous favorite verse. It's Colossians 1, 20. Seven. Colossians 1, 27. And I'm reading from the Living Bible Version. Christ in your hearts is your only hope of glory. Christ in your hearts is your only hope of glory. Our hope in his manifest ministry is in him alone. This means we become like him in attitude, in action and reaction. Our words and nonverbal communication that can be his to others. The Apostle Paul put it this way. We have become living letters read of all men. That you and I become the only Bible that our friends or family ever see. We are the living letters. Now the older I get, hmm, the less stressful my life has become because the pressure is not on me, but it's on him. <laughs> and it's my job to listen to the guidance and instruction I get from him. And when I do that, when I listen to him, <laughs> the joy, the love, the pleasure, the benefit when I listen to God, it is wonderful. One day this week, you know, we had a hot streak this week, and it was really hot. So I opened my doors because I wanted to get some cross breeze. And uh, I actually was studying and preparing for this message, but I took a break, and I was watching, it was in the afternoon, Thursday afternoon, I think it was, I was watching Judge Judy. I love me some Judge Judy. And I don't like to be disturbed when I'm watching Judge Judy. So anyway, I'm watching it, and I hear this cheery voice say, Hello, Henry. It was my neighbor who lives next door, Judy. And she was going down to walk her dog, Missy. Real cute little dog. And she said, hello, Henry. And so reluctantly, but joyfully, I stood up and I went to the door. And I said, hello, Judy, how are you doing? And she said, it's good to see you, Henry. She said, I don't know if you heard, but we almost lost Jerry this week. I said, what? What happened? She said, well... For the last two weeks, he hasn't been doing well at all. And uh, he's lost uh, 18, 15, 18 pounds. Uh, his coloring, his complexion is different. It's pasty looking. And uh, I guess he, he wouldn't eat regularly. And he was coughing. And so I took him to the doctor because early that week, he was just sitting in the living room and he just passed out. He fainted. And so, and then he fainted again. So I said, we got to go to the doctor. So I took him to the doctor. And the doctor said, well, I'm not sure, but, you know, keep a watch on him. And if something bad happens, just let me know. And he said, we are leaving the doctor's office, and I'm driving. 
And she said, all of a sudden, he fainted again. He went out. But this time when he went out, his mouth was hanging open. His eyes, the back of his head was open. And I turned to him and I said, Jerry. And she said, I was panicked. She said, I smacked him. I said, Jerry, don't you die on me right now. <laughs> and she smacked him again. And I remember, it brought back an incident that happened to me about 30 or 40 years ago. I was, I had a group called Soul Liberation. We used to minister in the streets. And we were doing an outreach concert in downtown Brooklyn. And we had just finished, and we were packing up and going back to our vehicles in Battery Park in Brooklyn. And I passed this woman in the car, and she was screaming at her husband. She said, somebody help me. No, don't you do this. Don't you die on me. And she was screaming at him. And her husband was sitting in the chair, and his head was back. And I was just paralyzed. And she said, and she screamed, she says, is there a doctor, is there a doctor somewhere who can help? And I, I, I started, is there a doctor somewhere in the house? And I, I, I should have stopped. Because I know the great physician, but I was paralyzed. And I did nothing. And I watched the color in that man's face change. He died right before me. So anyway, she said, I smacked you. Jerry, don't you die for me like that. And then he came to, and, and I said, I'm taking you right back to the doctor. So they went to the hospital, and uh, she said they got there at 6.30. They were 6.30 to 1 o'clock in the morning before he was seen. But finally, the doctor said, well, it's a bronchial infection, and you got to watch, give him some soup, and take care of him, blah, blah, blah. So I said, well, Judy, how's he doing now? Because this happened last Friday. Now, this is about a week later. She said he's not doing good. Can I go and pray for him, Judy? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Henry, just the door is open going over there. So she went down. I went to the apartment. And now this, this is a heat wave. I walk in the apartment. He's covered up in blankets. <laughs> and he's in the recliner. I said, Jerry, you know, some of you know Jerry. He's real affable and personable, and he's always cracking jokes, you know. I said, Jerry, how are you doing? And he said, well, not good. Probably Judy told you what happened, and then he related the whole story. I said, listen, Jerry, I just came over to pray for you. Is it okay? He said, oh, yeah, you can pray for me. I remember you prayed for Judy when she was having problems with, with uh, that shingles. You prayed for Judy and her shingles? And, and she got better. Yeah, you can pray for me. So I just had a simple prayer. And I was thinking, Lord, direct me in this prayer. So I went to Psalm 139. I want to make sure I stayed in the Old Testament. Lord, you know all about us. You know our down sitting, our uprise. You know every, before we were knit in our mother's womb. And you are the great physician. And God, I'm asking you right now. Boy, I was praying in faith. I ask you right now to come into this room and bring life and health and strength to Jerry. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So he, he, Jerry's kind of sitting there. He never did close his eyes and he was just sitting there like this. And I finished my prayer and I said, okay, Jerry. So I left. Next day I got up, went to the gym, went swimming. And on my way back from swimming, I just decided to go check and see how Jerry's doing. I walk into his house. I knock on the door first. And uh, this is Henry. And I hear Judy's voice. Oh, come on in. The healer is here. <laughs> She said, Henry, come on in. She said, Jerry, Jerry, come on out. She said, since you prayed, his appetite came back. 
He's eating. He's gained three pounds already. He's cracking those corny jokes again. <laughs> she said, and Jerry's, at the end of Jerry says, yeah, I feel so much better. He said, Henry, I'm ready to convert. <laughs> and, and, and Judy said, Judy said, oh, you've already converted. <laughs> and I walked out. Do you know how I felt? Do you know the joy in my heart? That, you see, here's the thing, friends. God places us in situations so that his glory can be demonstrated. And it's our job to listen. And so let me leave you with this real and liberating thought, I think it is. Our responsibility is not to be faithful only, but to relinquish, <laughs> to let go and let God. Because we naturally want to control. But when God speaks, we have to say, learn to say yes. Okay, yes, God, I had other plans, but I said you're speaking to me now. You see, whenever and with whomever his grace is needed, Christ is at work. And if he lives in us, it follows that he will lead us into those situations and to those people who need him most. And it's not that we discern what God is doing and join him, but rather it is that when Christ takes up residence in us, he leads us into places and to people in which he can use our lives to be his extension. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I'm going to pray right now. And I've written this prayer out, and I'm going to read it to you first. And if this prayer expresses the sentiments of your heart, I'm going to ask you to pray it with me. But I don't want you to pray it flippantly. I want you to pray it after consideration. Listen to the prayer and then consider praying this with me. Here is the prayer. Lord, I am ready now to be your manifest intervention in situations to infuse joy affirm growth, or even absorb pain and aching and anguish. I plan to live this day and the rest of my life in the reality of you in me, Christ in me. Thank you for making it so. Amen. That's the prayer. Would you close your eyes and bow with me in prayer? And if this is a sentiment of your heart, I invite you to pray as I lead you in this prayer. Lord, I am ready now to be your manifest intervention in situations to infuse joy affirm growth or even absorb pain 
and aching and anguish. I plan to live this day and the rest of my life in the reality of you in me. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Thank you for making it so. Amen. Let us stand together. If you prayed that prayer and you were serious about it, I would like to say a prayer of confirmation for you. And so in the sanctity of this moment, I would invite you to simply lift your hand, say, Pastor Henry, that's my prayer. Now when you pray a prayer like that, God's going to place you in a situation to test your faith. And you have the opportunity to say, yes to your will, and yes to your way. If you were praying that prayer, just simply lift your hand. I'm going to pray for you. Father, you see the hands that are lifted. We want to be your people that reflect your love, your grace, your joy, your peace, your wisdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated.